Bible, I've selected James uh, chapter 1, in particular verses 19 to 25, for our consideration this morning, and it's a, it's a tremendous text. Now, as you're making your way to the book of James, keep in mind, this is the first New Testament letter written. So this is about A.D. 49, so this is the first New Testament letter written, and James, the half-brother of Jesus, is just practical and helpful, and I feel like this text under God's kind providence, will serve us best as we prepare for a new pastor here at Grace Community Church of the Valley. I've entitled our our time of teaching and explication, God's Mudroom Before Worship. God's Mudroom Before Worship. Now, uh, prior to moving to Louisville, Kentucky, I had never heard of a mudroom. Living in Southern California, there wasn't much need for a mudroom. And uh, I've since understand and appreciate the significance in a home to have a mudroom. Uh, not to insult your intelligence, but I just want to make sure you understand what a mudroom is since you're in California. Um, it, it's basically a, a room that precedes you entering the house where you can discard soiled clothing. It, it serves two purposes. One, to get rid of all the dirty clothes and the wet clothes as you transition from the elements inside the home. Second, and most important, it brings sanity uh, to your wife. Um, that all these kids running out, in and out, all these pets running in and out, and uh, so she doesn't have to clean up the whole house. And, and again, it, it's a pretty simple concept. You walk into a mudroom, it's usually lined with hooks. Um, it has a drain right in the center, so you can just kind of, everything goes into the drain and, and gets expelled out and jettisoned out of the house. And then there's, you know, bins and usually... It's usually a pretty simple room. The floor is uh, able to handle any form of, of element, uh, water, snow, I mean, you, you name it, mud. I mean, it's just, a, it's just a great room, and it's a great concept. But again, I had never heard of, uh, of a mud room. And our text before us this morning serves as kind of God's mud room before we uh, enter into worship. So with that in mind, it's a place where we learn there's some things that we need to jettison. There's some soiled garments of the flesh that we need to get rid of so that we can properly receive the Word of God, put on some clean clothes, and really extract the most out of worship, all right? So with that in mind, take a look at James chapter 1, verse 19 through verse 25, as we look at God's uh, mudroom for worship. James writes, Writes, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word. And not merely hearers only who delude themselves. Why? For if any one of us is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law of liberty and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, why this man will be blessed in what he does. 
James here provides for us the necessary disciplines that allow us to get the most out of corporate worship. Corporate worship is the context. It's the point of discussion. It's the target in which uh, James is, is writing to. This particular passage serves us like a, a bit of a little mini worship guide. It's an opportunity to know how to, how to get the most out of worship at Grace Community Church of the Valley. Now, on most church websites, they'll have a little button that says, this is what you need to know. You know, as you come to our Sunday morning gatherings, as we gather, just to help people understand if they're a guest uh, and, and to appreciate the, the process and, and the things that we go through. Well, that's exactly what James is trying to do here, but in the first century. He's saying, this is what you need to know. When we gather corporately to worship, these are corporate disciplines. These things must be true of us if we're going to get the most out of worship here in the valley. Now, keep in mind also, it's written to caution us. It, it, it kind of fronts us to remind us that we're not to take worship with a casual approach. We're to be serious about the gospel, and we're to be serious about our corporate worship when we gather. So it's a text that kind of jolts you a little bit, causes you to kind of take a step back and think twice about how we gather in community. Now, one of the signs of a healthy church is that you take corporate worship, the gathering, seriously, right? And there's many, of a- many aspects. It was written in your bulletin. There's collective uh, giving. There's corporate singing. These are all parts of worship. They're all dimensions of worship. They're all vitally important to worship. But none is more important than the preaching and the explication of God's word. Just the sheer volume of time that I get over what preceded me in worship tells you that the weight of the elders is on the preaching of God's word, right? I get 45, 50, 55, an hour and a half to preach, depending on how kind you are, uh, this morning, right? I get the the lion's share of of time to to preach God's word. That's intentional. That's not just arbitrary. Uh, Like the reformers, we believe that the supreme act of worship is the preaching of God's word. It's the most crucial point in a service, in a gathering. And so what James is saying, knowing that it's significant, knowing that it's a priority, then you need to know how to get the most out of corporate worship. You need to know how to get the most out of the preaching of God's word as we gather. Now, when you think about the preaching of God's word, here's the deal. With your new pastor coming, I can promise you that you have high expectations on him. And one of those high expectations is that he would be an expository preacher, right? You're going to expect for him to go sequentially, verse by verse, and explicate the text and derive the meaning and and present it in such a way that it's transformational in nature, that it grips us and, and it changes us. So you have a high expectation towards expository preaching, or at least you should. So if you don't, please change today. But you you should have that, and you should have that expectation on him. I mean, that's a a pretty fair expectation. It's what we do as as preachers. It's what we do as pastors. But there's there's another side to the equation. You expect good, excellent, expository preaching. Well done. But you need to understand some things from a pastor's perspective. I expect 
And Scott's going to expect good expository listening. It's not just coming here and, and gaining information, but the whole point of this is, is about the transformation of lives. And as you expect good expository preaching, I can assure you, I can speak for his, on his behalf this morning. He is coming loaded. He is coming expecting you to respond to God's word. The beauty of the moment is this. James chapter 1 teaches us how to do that. It, it gives us some content. It gives us the necessary corporate disciplines to, to really extract the most out of God's word. It's a blueprint for expository listening. It's a biblical audiology. It teaches you how to hear and how to apply the word of God in the context of corporate worship. Now, let me give you a little bit of context because I'm kind of parachuting in the middle of the book of James here, and it's not fair to you. And so any good teacher wants to give you a little bit of runway so we can get off the ground and get flying because we've got to get busy. This morning, we, we really got to pull some things out of this text to, 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 to really feel, it, feel its full weight before us. So, leading up here in chapter 1, James has been kind of flowing through a number of topics. The first thing he, he brought up with the church there is that they uh, need to know how to handle trials. I mean, it was a difficult time. It was tough. And so, he just unpacks a theology of how to handle trials. On the heels of trials, he says, now you also need to know how to handle temptation. Uh, because they're young, they're early, this is 49 AD, they don't, have a, they don't have a lot of books written to them. They don't have 1 Corinthians. They don't have the Gospels. Uh, they, don't, they don't have all the texts. They have the Old Testament. They don't have all the, the texts readily available. And so, man, when the, when the trials come, the, the temptations follow, and, and they're just struggling a bit. And so he's trying to write himself clear and there was a temptation in the body for them to say, hey, is God bringing about these temptations? And James just puts the nail in the coffin and says, no, no, no. God doesn't bring temptation to you. You're, you're tempted when you're drawn away by your own lust and your own flesh, right? This is what he says here right prior to this passage. So it's how to handle trials, how to handle temptation. And now the text before us is the one for our consideration this morning. And it's how to handle the truth. How do you handle the word of God as you gather in corporate worship? This is of vital importance because I can assure you that your new pastor wants to create a congregation of unstoppable worshipers who are thrilled, enamored, and overwhelmed with the gospel that continues to transform them, not only in salvation, but in their ongoing progressive sanctification all year long. So this is like a setup for the perfect setup for a new pastor's arrival before us here this morning. It's basically, James is basically wanting the, the attitude that Samuel recorded in 1 Samuel 3.10. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Now, whenever the Old Testament and whenever the New Testament speaks to this term of listening, it's implicit within it that when you're hearing, you're also going to obey. When you're hearing, you're also going to heed. In other words, you hear, but you have a plan for it to grip your heart and to change your life. Not to come, gather information, and go away to the same person every single Sunday. That, that's not why we're gathering. We're, we're gathering to have our, our lives transformed. And so James has a goal. He wants to create effective sermon listeners. And so in these seven verses, he outlays six 
corporate disciplines that must be true of us if we're going to be unstoppable in worship and really get it and really understand what it means to, to worship God and what it means to get the most out of preaching. Now, one more little note because it's such a stylistic change. You notice when we read it, or you should have, that there, 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 there are these little pithy, tight phrases. Uh, from 1804 to about 1815, when the French emperor was, Napoleon was in the French Revolution there, he got extremely frustrated because he would give clear commands, but when they were translated down to the troops, they got garbled. There was a lot of miscommunication. Uh, they didn't have GPS. They didn't have uh, transition means of, of radios and the things that we would use in, in kind of modern warfare. So he got immensely frustrated. And so what he created was a marginal intelligence officer. He created one guy that he would articulate his commands to, and this one particular guy barely could read. He wasn't the sharpest knife in the drawer. I didn't have tremendous education behind him. And the reason why he did that is because he wanted to make sure that if this guy could get it, if he could, if he could grasp these commands from Napoleon, that when he went to the troops to re-articulate them, then everybody else would get it. So if the, if the lowest guy on, uh, on, with marginal intelligence could grab it, then the whole army could, and they could move in lockstep and, and really take advantage of the opportunity and really advance in war there at that time. And the whole goal was clear, crisp commands. I want you to appreciate the book of James, because that's James. I, he just goes, bang. I mean, it, like, it's like he steps up and, and swings away and, and delivers a haymaker. You know, he just, it's just, bow, bow. I mean, just constant, crisp, clear commands. They almost don't even need an explanation. Now, I will serve you well in trying to give some, some HD to it and, and give you some color to the text because I think it's important for, for all of us to, to, to grasp it. But, I mean, that's the way it is. You could read it on your own and go, golly, I get it. I mean, this makes perfect sense. This means this is what it looks like to worship at, 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 at Grace Community Church of the Valley. This is our new button on the website, how to get the most out of corporate worship, how to get the most out of the preaching of God's word. Now, back to our topic. It's God's mudroom, right? So that means there's going to be some things we need to jettison. And what's interesting is the scriptures all through the Old Testament and New Testament use physical filth uh, to be a metaphor for spiritual filth. There's some things you've got to get rid of. There's some things that you're going to have to jettison. And then there's some, th some things you're going to need to put on. You're going to need to adjust and, and change. He's actually going to use a clothing metaphor, and I'll point it out to you. You don't see it necessarily in the English text, but it's in the Greek text. And I'll point it out, in which we get our, our, our meaning behind God's mudroom for worship. So you ready to go? Ready to get busy? There's six. First, I want to call your attention to. It's right there in verse 19. Open your ears. Open your ears. Look at verse 18, because there's some accusation. I know you guys are reading commentaries. You're serious about the gospel. You pick up a James commentary, and everybody beats up on James and says, he doesn't link anything together. It's choppy. It's hard to follow. Uh, it's not the case at all. Look at verse 18 there to appreciate this. James writes, in transition, in the exercise of his will, God 
he brought us forth by the word of truth so that we would have a kind of first fruits among his creatures. So James literally states, listen, it was the word of God that brought your salvation. It's the word of God. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans 10, 14. It was the word of God that brought you forth, that, that washed you and that redeemed you. But it doesn't stop there. There's an expectation not only to receive the word of God and to receive Christ and to embrace the gospel, but it's ongoing. It's every single Sunday thereafter when you gather in corporate worship, it's going to be the word of God that not only saves you, it's going to be the word of God that sanctifies you. And then he says, hey, this is what it looks like. This is what we got to do. When we gather to worship, and it's the supreme act of worship, the whole service by the elders' choices waited on, on the preaching of God's word. This is what it's going to look like. And as a matter of fact, a true believer, one who, as verse 18 says, has been brought forth by the word of God, he will, she will have an insatiable appetite for the word of God. This is evidence of new birth. This is evidence of new life in Christ that you desire to grow, that, that, that you desire to apply God's word. Now, I'm using the NAS. I think you guys typically use the ESV. When the, ES, when the NAS opens here, it opens with uh, an indicative statement. This you know. It's not actually the, the weight of the text. The weight of the text is actually an imperative. It means this. Never forget this. Notice the intensity. Just share by my communication. Don't forget this. This is important. This is what James says. You can tell he's transitioning, and he's saying, listen, this is serious, biz. This is something you need to kind of sit up, pay attention to. You really need to get this in particular. Now, take note of this. And then he says there in verse 19, my beloved brethren, true pastor's heart. He's about to light him up. I'll be honest with you. Uh, he's going he's gonna to jump all over us. So I have to do it to you. So it's just part of the text. So he's going to crush us a little bit. So it's kind of a, he's just being sweet. He's being kind. He says, I'm doing this because I love you. This is, um, this is something we got to go through. This is something we got to work through together this morning. It's just kind of a pastoral appeal. Now he says, next, everyone. Notice it. This you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone. So corporate worship, context, everyone, nobody's exempt here this morning. These are the corporate disciplines for all of us. Comprehensive, no exceptions. And then he says, you must be quick to hear. You got to open your ears. Now, he is not referencing the speed at which you listen. It's a reference to the quality of listening. He's, call, he's calling for a qualitative amount of listening, that you really sit up, you listen, you get it. Now, why would that be important? You're in the first century, A.D. 49. Why is it important that you hear oral communication and you get it? Because you didn't have all these books written yet. Uh, this church here, they, they didn't have it. They didn't have 1 Corinthians, as I stated before. They didn't have the book of Revelation. They didn't have Thessalonians. They didn't have the Gospels. So... When an apostle came to speak, or the preacher began to speak, or one of the elders stood up to speak, buddy, you had to be paying attention. You kind of had to be on your game because it was all about oral communication. You would not own a copy of the Old Testament. A congregation would be lucky to own just one copy. 
So you wouldn't have a personal coffee copy like you do today. You go home, they're all over the, uh, the, the coffee tables, bookshelves. I mean, you, you have real good access to the Word of God. It, it wasn't the case there. So James says, listen, when someone stands up to address you, then you need to be quick to hear. You need to listen well. You need to be an aggressive, effective, serious, careful listener. And so... It is the first duty of every member when gathering corporately together to make sure that they hear the word of God. So when you sit under the word of God, we must be intentional with our listening. And again, that means more than acknowledging the facts. There's embedded within this little pithy statement the fact that you plan to do something about it. That you plan to take the word of God and to really apply it to your life. This is why uh, we often say as pastors, Sunday morning begins when? Sunday, Saturday night, right? Sunday morning begins Saturday night. Uh, Let me just give you a little peek into how we function as a family. It's like pregame Saturday night. Now there's the occasion where there's something going on and we stay out late Saturday night. But by and large, as a rhythm of our lives... Sunday's the first day of the week. It's the most important thing that happens. This hour, honestly, might be the most important hour of your week, right? So we get ready for it. We get rest. We try to take out all the variables. The kids' clothes are ironed and kind of laid out. We've kind of thought through what breakfast is going to look like. Because, you know, Satan likes to jerk around with families as they're trying to go to church and get you off your game and get you distracted, right? We've we've all experienced that as, as, as parents. And so rest is important. It's not only just the physical element, there's an outer man element, there's also an inner man. We're kind of reviewing the passage. That's the beauty of expository preaching. Your pastor is going to start in a book, he's going to go right through it. You know where he's going next week. So get out in front of him. And you're kind of, you're kind of plowing up the soil, you're kind, of, you're kind of ripping up the fallow ground, and you're getting your heart kind of tuned in and dialed in so that when he preaches, the seed goes in and it takes root. It's planted into the soil of the heart. And, it, and then it be, begins its transformation process. So we're, we're getting good rest, right? We're, we're, we're laying out the clothes. We're looking at the text. We're also confessing our sin. We're saying, Lord, is there anything in my life that would inhibit me getting the most out of corporate worship and the preaching of God's word? So it's a time of self and family examination. Now, That's just what we should be doing because it is the most important part of the week. Let me remind you of some of the listening inhibitors that that exist in corporate worship. Being tired is right there at the top of the list. Again, there are times you have to be out there. You know, Saturday night, we get that. We're not that creepy. You know, we understand. You know, life goes on. But as a rhythm, as a normal flow of week, we want you to be rested. We want you to be... Uh, prepared. So another would be being unprepared, kind of coming in here distracted, um, tired, you know, just kind of sloppy. Or third, just feeding on the world's junk food all week. If you're just filling yourself with the world all week and you're just looking to be inoculated for one hour a week with one sermon, ah, you know, I can pound away at you a little bit, but it may not take root like it should because there's just not that, that churning and that turnover. And so you see quickly that James is saying, listen, listen, we need to cultivate in this church prior to the pastor arriving here in the near future a, this, this careful spiritual discipline of, of, 
of looking into our lives and preparing our hearts so that we're kind of metaphorically sitting on the edge, edge of our seat kind of going, hey, you better bring it. I mean, you want to ratchet it up to him. You want to call him out, scream at him, throw some things every once in a while. Hey, bring us the book. We want to hear the preaching of, of God's word, right? But we live in this kind of sloppy generation, sloppy listening. What I've found is there are far too many non-listening listeners. They're listening. I look into the eyes of congregations when I travel. Oh, they're looking at me, but it's like the lights are out. It's like they're going, you know, what's for lunch? I wonder if she's burning the pot roast. Honestly, right now? I mean, do we need to talk about that now? You know what I mean? Kind of weird kind of stuff. So you have to understand context. Poor listening in the first century would impoverish your soul because you didn't have a copy of God's Word. But it's timeless. Fast forward to the 21st century. If you have a copy in your lap, but you plan to do nothing about it, and you come kind of just casual to worship, you're missing a ton. You're missing out a bunch. And so James says, listen, you need to be quick to hear. Not fast, listener, but qualitative, quality listening, really extracting the most out of God's word. So you need to ask yourself as we depart this first corporate discipline, do you have a genuine readiness and eagerness to hear God's word? James says it starts right there. Furthermore, are you seizing the opportunities to hear God's word? The average church member hears approximately 75 to 100 hours of, 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 of sermons or, or preaching in a given year. That's not a lot of time. I mean, you really need to be on your game when you come, right? If, if you only get that little bit, are you seizing the opportunities? Are you increasing your exposure to God's Word. Do you have an insatiable, growing, attentive appetite for the Word of God? So James says, listen, the first duty, when we gather in corporate worship, the first duty of every Christian in corporate worship is to open your ears, to hear the Word of God, to have a desire to obey the Word of God. Second corporate discipline. Look at the text. Right there in 19, second portion, close your mouth. James says, open your ears and close your mouth. Now let me state the obvious, right? Look up. God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, okay? Two, one. It's physiological. I know it's a little simple, I'm not the deepest guy in the room, I get it, but it's, it sure is helpful and informs corporate worship. Why? Hey, you're like me. We're all prone to kind of uh, spiritual boasting, uh, possibly unwise promises, making some oaths that we maybe never intended to, to keep. Resolutions, I mean, we're still in January. <laughs> we, make, we make these commitments, right? And so... What he's after is really typifies our generation. What are we? We're slow to hear and quick to speak, aren't we? It needs to be just the opposite. Quick to hear, slow to speak. It's unfortunate, but we get intoxicated with our own verbosity, don't we? <laughs> we are this generation that we just love to hear ourselves speak. So we come out of church and say, we're going to do this. We're going to give our lives to missions. 
We're going to give away the whole business. We make all these commitments sometimes that, honestly, James is saying, listen, chill, relax. Be slow to speak. Now, the improper use of the tongue, if you know anything about the book of James, it's loaded, right? I mean, you get it in chapter, right at the end of chapter 1. You come to chapter 2, you get it. And then he almost dedicates all of chapter 3 to the use of the tongue or the improper use of the tongue, right? This false boasting and I'm going to go here. You know, I'm going to go tomorrow. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to build this thing. And he's going, what in the world? I mean, you're just just making all these claims that you don't even know what tomorrow brings. You can't make that kind of claim. And so it's loaded. Here's the first occasion it surfaces. He's saying, look, be slow to speak. Close your mouth. When you gather to worship, don't make rash commitments. It's really a companion to the first discipline, is it not? Because if you're always talking, guess what you're not doing? Listening, right? If you're always talking, then you're not going to to be listening. And so what he's embedding in corporate worship here is kind of a reluctance, a healthy reluctance where you're kind of restrained and uh, you're you're, you're curbing and and helping inform your zeal so that you don't get outside the box and and, and say things that aren't necessarily true. You see, big talkers are rarely good listeners. That's James' point. This is a huge aspect. Now, it's companion text. Just write this in your margin because you're going to want to go there this afternoon. I promise you, no football. So you're going to want to go there. Ecclesiastes 5, listen to this. Just listen, I'm going to read it for you. But write Ecclesiastes 5, really 1 to 8. It is the parallel text of James chapter 1. James could have even been looking at it going, wow, I can just tweak that a little bit in the first century, light them up. So here's what he says. Listen, Solomon writes, guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools for they don't even know what they're doing. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you're on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. You ever heard a little phrase in leadership? You know, speak often, seldom heard. Speak seldom, often heard. When you weigh in, don't, don't be the guy that's always talking because you just won't get the attention. Be timely and use sagacity and speak into a situation when it's appropriate, when it's right. And the same is true when we gather to worship. We don't come false boasting. Tomorrow I'm going to do this. Next day I'm going to do this. James saying, whoa, a little bit of reluctance here. Don't make these rash commitments to appear godly, right? Because that's what pride does. You kind of want to come off as, man, I'm the guy that's working the word. You know, I'm kind of, I'm in it. I'm in the game. I'm in the groove, right? Don't be that guy. Don't be that gal. Basically, is what he's saying. Here's the verse that creeps me out. Matthew 12, verse 36. Listen to this. This is Jesus saying, and I think we forget this. He says, we will be accountable for every word that proceeds out of the mouth. That'll scare you. That'll, that'll give you a little reluctance in the old step, right? I mean, that's like, that's like frightening. Every, yeah, every word, every single word. It's funny, we call it a quiet time, don't we? I even find myself this morning, I'm just, I'm not even listening sometimes to the Spirit's voice. Do you remember the old saying? 
It's better to keep your mouth closed and be thought stupid than open it and leave no doubt about it. Right? And this is basically what James is saying. You know, he's kind of you're like, ah, laughing, but we're all going, yeah, that hurts. You know, that, that's exactly what he says. So open your ears. This is how we worship. This is every Sunday. It's not just today. Open your ears, close the mouth. Open your ears, close your mouth. Third, control your temper. Look at 19. C. Be slow to anger. Wow. What is this all about? Listen, when we gather to worship, forbearance is needed. It is absolutely critical here. Um, it's imperative that we control our anger. We control our bitterness. We control our resentment. He's talking about one to another. In the, in the context of corporate worship, as we gather, there has to be a lot of forbearance. Look around. We're not all coming from the same background. We don't all have the same passions. We don't all see things the same way. So there has to be this huge for, forbearance. And what happens is when you get angry, I can assure you, it kills your ability to listen to the word of God. It inhibits worship. It quenches the spirit. It's reckless in worship when you have resentment and you're embittered. And you got to keep in mind, anger is a controlled emotion. There's a reason why, chap, you don't fly off at work. You don't fly off at work. You may fly off at home. You don't fly off at work. Why? Because you're going to get fired. You can't act like that in public. That tells us, hey, anger is a controlled emotion. We know how to restrain it. And that's basically what James is calling for. A bit of restraint here with the, the, this, this need for forbearance. The word anger here is the word orge, which is a deep-seated, smoldering, petty, resentful attitude towards another. So this isn't just, you know, surface popping off of the mouth. I mean, it's kind of like you're getting entrenched in anger, and it's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. And uncontrolled anger will lead to uncontrolled speech. Now, I've, I've been on nine church staffs. I've been in the game 23-plus years. I have watched a lot of churches go from being lighthouses for the gospel to towering infernos over this singular issue. Right? Basically, here's the deal. Let me use modern vernacular. James is basically saying, hey, cut each other some slack, okay? I mean, we're all walking around uh, Grace Community Church of the Valley this morning with a huge sign on that says, under construction. <laughs> you know, excuse, you ever seen those signs like, excuse the mess? That, that's what you wear every day you come in here, every Sunday you gather. You, you, we we could some of the elders order some signs. You know, get, get, let's just all put one on and say, hey, excuse the mess, I'm an idiot, right? I mean, that's just the way it works. I mean, did anybody arrive? No. That's what he's saying. Come on, relax. Cut each other some slack. We can't let carnal zeal go after a church. It's a distraction. And Satan would love to distract us with internal divisiveness. And look at that person. It's just silliness. It's really petty. And it really has nothing to do with being serious about the gospel and articulating the word of God. And so he says, we must put off this dirty garment of, of anger. Why? Look at verse 20. Look at it. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. It never will. So you being frustrated and angry about something is never going to produce a righteous response in people. It just doesn't work that way. It, it's not going to happen. 
It doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires people to have. Actually, when you're angry, you drive everyone away, including God. So you may think that you're about to worship, but you're not. It doesn't produce the righteous life. So we need to move a little quicker here, so let's review. First, corporate discipline. Open your ears. Second, close your mouth. Third, control your temper. All right? Don't let yourself get carried away. Don't let carnal zeal. It just doesn't, it'll so distract you. You'll be petty and silly. It just doesn't work, James says. Come on. This is corporate worship. Fourth, clean your heart. Look at verse 21. Now, just so you'll understand, main verbs in verse 21, that means this is the thrust. This is the whole point of the passage. Remember, there's a main verb in the Greek language. It's the punch. It's the point. So verse 21, therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness in humility. Receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. This is how you receive the word of God. The therefore The day there connects verse 21 to verses 19 and 20. So he says, you need to stop doing these things. Therefore, this is what you should be doing. And here's your clothing metaphor. You see this phrase, putting off? Putting off these things? It was a word that would describe the removal of clothing in the Greek language. Uh, it, it is to, to discard dirty clothes, to divest, to, to derobe ourselves. And in God's mudroom, there must be first a putting off before there's a commensurate putting on and the receiving of God's word. We've got to make our heart receptive, but it first must be cleansed. There, there has to be a, a washing. And so James calls for us to examine ourselves and to repent of any and all known worship inhibitors. Now, notice a couple things about uh, verse 21. First, this is a New Testament pattern of sanctification. Progressive sanctification always is an act of you putting off something and then putting on. So you put off the unrighteous vice, and if you only did that, if you're always saying no, 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 you won't ever get sanctification. You have to say no to sin, but you also have to say yes to the righteous counterpart to that, right? Take a thief. When is a thief no longer a thief? When he stops stealing, right? Wrong. That's part of it. That's half the equation. He stops stealing. Then he gets a job and contributes to society. See, you got to put off the theft and then put on the... The righteous counterpart there would be to get a job. Same thing is true. You put off anger. You, you put on joy. Don't just say no to sin and beat yourself up all the time. You'll never get there in sanctification. That's not how it works. So this is a New Testament pattern. There's some things that you have to get rid of, and then there's some things he's going to go on in the text and tell us that we got to then put on. So in God's mudroom, you go in, you derobe, get all that junky clothes off, throw them in the middle of the floor, Isolate them for your wife's sake. And then you put on some clean clothes. This is exactly what he's after. Second, notice the phrase there. It's comprehensive again. It's killing us. All. Every known vestige, right? Everything that can, you can possibly think of as you examine yourself needs to be getting rid of. He says all filthiness, all wickedness. 
Anything that's left over is kind of a depravity hangover. Anything that you can possibly think of that would inhibit worship, that would distract worship. He's just given broad categories because they're particular to you. And they're particular to me. There's things I have to get rid of that, that inhibit my worship. There's some things that are different that you have to get rid of. Interesting. This word filthiness is the Greek word for earwax. He's basically saying you need to remove the earwax. Now, is that ironic or intentional? I think it's pretty intentional, right? He's already told us to be quick to hear. He's basically saying get all the filth out so that you hear the word of God. Anything that corrupts or reduces your appetite, and that is sin. Sin corrupts and reduces the one's appetite. See what he's after? We're to strip away dirty and defiling sin that inhibits the ability to accept and to hear the word of God. How? 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. That's beautiful. But we got to do it, right? We got to remove the, the garbage. And so it's kind of got to be our pre-worship habit to always approach the campus when you're driving here. If you just have the last few minutes before you get out of the car, it's a kind of say, man, Lord, is there anything that's going to inhibit me getting the most out of singing and giving and preaching of God's word this morning at Grace Community Church of the Valley? So put it together to give you a little repentance guide to reverse out the principles we just talked about. Is there an unwillingness to listen that you need to repent of? Is there a sinful speech or sinful tongue that you need to turn from? Is there an unrighteous anger towards somebody you need to ask God's forgiveness for? I mean, just start there and reverse out those three points. There's a good start, right? Until we've done this, we're really not ready to receive God's worship. And so he says, be careful to make sure that you have a clean heart. Number five. Mortify your pride. Mortify your pride. Look at verse 21. So therefore, you're to jettison all filthiness, all that remains of wickedness, anything left over. And then in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. You got a rule and a, and a reason here. In other words, James is saying, hey, don't, don't come with a chip on your shoulder to church. It's really not helpful. Why? Because pride doesn't allow you to be teachable. Pride inhibits your ability to, to receive God's word. And what you're going to need is to be teachable, not arrogant. And what I love, he changes metaphors. He moves away from the clothing for a minute and goes to a horticulture one, and he talks about receiving the implanted word of God, the seed of, of, of God's word. Therefore, break up the foul ground so that you can receive God's word, to accept the whole counsel of God's word, not just what fits your, your lifestyle. We're to have this like childlike reception in humility and receive God's word. James later will say, God resists the what? Proud. And he gives grace to the humble. So if you're going to get the most out of worship, you can't come in here with a chip on your shoulder. You can't come in here full of pride, sir. Ma'am, it's just not going to work. You've got to die to yourself. you really got to do that if you're going to get the most out of corporate worship as we gather. In other words, you're clearing the, the rubble. You're clearing the, the path 
for God's word. It's the same word that saves you. It's the same word that sanctifies you. And so the one garment you need to be concerned about this morning, as 1 Peter 5 says, is to be clothed in humility. Listen, it doesn't matter what you wear to church on the outside. We honestly don't care. Well, to a degree. But there's one garment you can't afford not to have on, and that's humility. If you're really going to come, I mean, you've got to come hungry. And, and, and almost uh, there's an aggression in the text, aggressive to hear God's word and to be transformed by it. You've got to roll out the red carpet in your heart and to be teachable and, and to be humble so that the text says you'll receive the word implanted and it will take root. It won't be on fallow ground or rocky ground or on all the stubble, but really it just sinks deep in and produces this crop of righteousness in our lives. Okay, so let's review you're getting a little sluggish. It's hot in the back, I can tell. So look, open your ears, right? Close your mouth. Control your temper. Clean your heart. Mortify your pride. One more. Saves the best for last. Typical James, right? Move your feet to action. Move your feet to action. Look what he does here in verse 22. But... It's a day. It's a connector in the Greek language. It's really him saying, oh, yeah, one final thought. And it's one humdinger of a bell ringer. I mean, it is the final. I mean, it's like he teases us up on the last one. Move your feet to action. One final thought, a sixth and final imperative in this text. It's a continuation. Therefore, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. It's clear, folks. Just listening is not enough. That's not worship. Just listening is, is, is not enough. It's a call to action. Do you understand? Let me, okay, let me stop. Let me give you an insight into a pastor's heart. The highest joy that Scott Artavanis will have as your pastor will be when you respond to the preaching of God's word. Nothing brings me greater joy. Nothing thrills my soul more than when I watch the word work. And when I watch the freedom of the word being preached and the word work and take hold of people's lives and grip them and transform them. Okay? That is, that is what is going to thrill him. So we got to get ready. We got to get used to articulating how the word works so that it's like fuel to Scott, keeps him in the game, keeps him focused, and keeps him studying, and keeps him preparing rigorous sermons so that our lives will be transformed and we'll be like more like Christ. Okay, so I'm going to pull back the veil. A little, one more step back. Here's a secret. When you come up to after we preach and you say, hey, good sermon, I have no idea what that means as a pastor. I mean, I know you're being kind, and you should be, Right? But it's totally unhelpful. Because sometimes I don't know if you're just saying that because, hey, you know, you're feeling bad for me. <laughs> I really laid an egg and it's not so good. And, you know, I mean, we get that. We do that. You know, we only got to be good once a month to keep you coming. That's the trick, right? So that's our game. But, no, I mean, it's just like you don't need to say that. What would bless a pastor? And, what, and I'm just trying to help you when your pastor comes. Don't tell him good sermon. Tell him, this is what God's word did in my life today. You'll freak him out. Because we get kind of used to the whole good sermon thing. So here's the deal. After today, I'm going to let you do it today because we don't know each other. 
So you can do it today. You can tell me, hey, good sermon. Make me feel good about myself. After today, no more good sermons, okay? I dare you. And I'll double, double dog dare you never to go up to Scott and say, hey, that was a good sermon. It's unhelpful. Go up and say, hey, this is what God did to me. He totally convicted me that I ran my mouth this week. He totally convicted me that I was slothful. He totally convicted me I haven't been reading my Bible and praying like I should. I mean, there's a thousand ways we got to grow because we're under construction. I'm telling you, this is what James is after. He's saying, don't just be a hearer. Be a doer. Every time we preach, it's, it's called transformational expository preaching. Its goal is to change us. It's to transform us into the likeness of Christ. This is what I'm planning to do about it, preacher. Hey, Scott, this is what I'm going to do this week. i got to go talk to Bill. I can tell he was a little creeped out, what I said. I'm going to go back and talk to him. Tell him that. You will, I promise you, it'll be such a sweetness of moving yourselves to action. It'll be so contagious that, that people will, will want what you have. You see, just listening is not enough. You've got to be an early adopter of, uh, of, of the Word of God. And listen, it's not how much you get of the Word of God, it's how much the Word of God gets a hold of you. That's the end game here, right? So I just want you to kind of peer behind the curtain. We, we love you being sweet rather than being, you know, a curmudgeon. We, we love that. But, but go the next level as a congregation and start really going aggressive on application because that is what Christianity looks like. It looked like that in the first century, and it's what they needed to change. It should look like that in the 21st century. And he says we need to be expository doers. So not only are you going to be an expository listener, you've got to be an expository doer. You just can't run around champion. we've got an expository preacher. La-dee-da. We need to be doers, right? We need to really get in the game here and get serious about our personal sanctification. We're called to be active listeners. And here's why. Did you notice it in the text? Scary. It is absolutely dangerous for us to come into this room and have no plans to do anything about the truth. You will train your heart to be a professional sermon listener. You'll rip them apart. Ah, he slurred his speech. He, uh, he mixed his pronouns. and you, You'll do all that stuff, and you won't even get it. I mean, God's always used guys, they're like me, dumb as a bag of rocks, to preach God's word. Because he gets the most glory out of it. Because it's his spirit's work in our lives. This is, this is his delight and pleasure. Here's the deal. Too many of us are auditing the sermon. Not planning to do anything about it. Not planning to take the test. Not to write the paper. Just auditing the sermon. Careless listening. And he says here, you're going to delude yourself. That's the scary part of the text. You're actually going to convince yourself because you came here, you're actually growing. But you're not doing anything with the word. You're not. And that's the worst place to be, right? Is to self, be self-delusional about your own personal sanctification. And oftentimes everybody else can see it, but you can't because you're deluding yourself. It's careless listening. And James is saying careless listening is sin here in verse 22. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers only. So what does that look like? Give us a little clarity, James. Beautiful. That's what he does. He gives us an illustration. This is what I'm talking about. Look what he says. Verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He's like a guy who, who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and once he's looked at it himself, he goes away, he's immediately forgotten what he, the person looks like. So you have Mr. Forgetful and Mr. Faithful. He creates these two scenarios. He said, this is what it's going to look like in the church. This is what it's actually going to look like. Mr. Forgetful, he looks in the mirror, his gig line's off, his shirt's half untucked, he's missing a button, one collar's flying up, irritating the whole church. If he can't get dressed, can he preach? I mean, honestly. So, I mean, everybody's, you know, doing the unruly hair, needs some skin treatment or something. So he looks in the mirror and goes, hey, looking good, and moves off. James says, what kind of guy does that? Well, that's like coming to church and not preparing to do anything about it. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the cool feature, little HD. In the first century, they didn't have glass mirrors. They had metal mirrors. And so the way they created a mirror was to polish and polish and polish to get as much clarity as possible. So in the first century, when there was a mirror... You didn't have these, you know how you get different mirrors? I have different mirrors in my house. One makes me look thin. The other one makes me look fat. I can't even explain it. You ever have those? Is it just me? That doesn't matter. But I mean, I just got, so I always go to the one that makes me look thin. Because <laughs> the fat guy wants to look thin. So, well, here's the deal. You'd have to really, you'd have to stoop and get in that metal mirror and, and really to be able to see things and to kind of check yourself out before you headed out into the public square. You, you really had to do that. Well, this guy's just coming up doing a quick one, looky-loo and moving on he said what kind of person does that do you see how it relates to the worship what kind of guy comes to the church takes a quick look at the word yeah that's good for bill that's good for mark it's good for julie i'm not gonna do anything about it what's for dinner what are we eating that that's exactly what he's going after he's mr forgetful he sees he looks into this cheap glass and moves on that's mr forgetful but here's the goal here's the point Then there's Mr. Faithful. Verse 25. But there's one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, the word of God, the gospel, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, Mr. Forgetful, but an effectual doer. This man will be blessed in what he does. This guy gets it. He gets the most out of God's word. He's not self-delusional. He understands he needs to grow. He comes in with humility. He comes in with open ears. He shuts his mouth. He controls his temper. He, he mortifies his pride. He cleans his heart. And guess what? That guy walks away going, that was worship. Now that's how you kick off a week. That's how you transform a life. That's how you become more like Christ. Back to where we started. You want expository preaching in your new pastor, right? North and south, right? Should. I tell you, he wants expository listening. It's the best thing you can do for corporate worship is to plan to respond to the clear preaching of the gospel and teaching of God's word. This is what he wants. This this is what it looks like. Don't be Mr. Forgetful. Be Mr. Faithful, Mrs. Faithful and say, I mean, it's, it's about being kind of aggressive towards your own personal sanctification and, and, and dealing with it and being convicted. And then the re-articulation of that back to your elders, it's just helpful. It energizes them. Like, man, the word's working. It's taken over our, our church and, it, and it, it's taken over our community and, and we get to expand beyond that to the whole world. This is what he's after versus being a professional sermon listener, just another sermon, 
It's, it's not what James is after. And so he says, beloved brethren, every one of us needs to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because the anger of man will never achieve the righteous life that God wants. So therefore, in God's mudroom, get rid of this stuff that distracts and dilutes and discourages and instead, clothe yourself with humility when you come in here to receive the word implanted, which will save your soul and continue to sanctify you. And what that looks like is you going out and proving and moving your feet to action. You don't just be hearers of the word, you're doers of the word. You're not going to delude yourself. You get it. So when you bend over and look in a mirror, you really see, wow, that's not so pretty. Needs some fixing. Some adjustments. That's why we gather to worship, to make some adjustments. But look intently. I mean, you gotta, you got to really get in, stare into that mirror. you got to really get up close to it. you got to really get into the Word of God and aggressively apply the Word of God to your life. Now, it's possible that it's like, I don't even get it. Well, it's possible that you're still in verse 18. Because before you can... Do verses 19 to 25, you need to know Christ. You, you, you need to know that it's possible you've got a sin problem that you've never dealt with. You've never repented of your sins. You've never trusted Christ. And, and today is the day that you need to respond to the Word of God. You need to receive the gospel. You need to have your life transformed. You've got a sin problem you can't do anything about. Same as the rest of us. And that's the purpose of Christ. He came to die for your sins, the just, for the unjust. It's beautiful, it's the gospel. So it's possible if this like kind of like went over your head and you're like, man, that is weird. That guy's weird. It's possible. I get it. I am. It's possible you've never received Christ. And let me encourage you, sir, man, that today seek out one of the elders. Say, hey, I, I need to understand more about Christianity. I understand the gospel because I'm not so sure that I've been brought forth. And John says it's being born again. Life changed. Confession of sin turned over to the lordship of Jesus Christ, it's possible you don't know Christ. So, could be for you, today's the day that the gospel takes hold of your life. If the gospel has taken hold of your life, these are the disciplines every time you gather, every single week. Make a path to this, sir, as you shepherd your family around the breakfast table on Sunday mornings. Let's check ourselves. Okay, going to campus. Going to pull in the parking lot. Open our ears. Kids, focus. Close our mouths. Anybody better? Nope. Any unconfessed sin? See what I'm saying? This, it's real pithy, real helpful, but it's a mini worship guide in extracting the most out of God's word.